0: 97.1 FM, The Drive, presents the Behind the Song podcast, taking you deeper into classic rock's most timeless tunes. Here's your host, Janda. In this episode of Behind the Song, we're diving into a song that has sparked endless discussions and debates since its release in 1971, American Pie by Don McLean, Written when McLean was 26 years old. It covers American history and music in a way that no other song has since. In fact, the original recording is preserved in the Library of Congress due to its cultural significance. So, without further ado, let's get into it. The song starts like this. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how, that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance. And maybe they'd be happy for a while. So the opening lines set us up to take a walk down memory lane through music. 1950s sock hops and blue jeans and poodle skirts. When Eisenhower was president and a gallon of gas was about 30 cents. But that reverie comes to a screeching halt in the next lines. February made me shiver. With every paper I'd deliver, bad news on the doorstep, I couldn't take one more step. February 3rd, 1959, is the day the music died in American Pie. That was the day when Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper, three of rock and roll's brightest stars at the time, were killed in a plane crash after a concert at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa. Holly was only 22 when he died, and he wasn't supposed to be on that tour, dubbed the Winter Dance Party, winter not being a time when acts usually toured back in the 1950s. Their bus broke down on the snowy roads, and comforts were minimal, so much so that Holly's drummer, Carl Bunch, got frostbite on his toes from being on the unheated bus. So they chartered a four-seat plane to take them to the next concert in Minnesota and avoid the rough trip on the bus. His bass player and fellow Texan Waylon Jennings, who went on to become a country music legend, gave up his seat on the plane to the Big Bopper, who was suffering from the flu, and thus he lived. Jennings reportedly never flew in an airplane again. Tommy Alsup, who was Holly's guitarist, flipped a coin for a seat, and 17-year-old Richie Vallens won the coin toss. The plane crashed shortly after takeoff. Don McLean was a teenage paperboy when the news hit in 1959, and literally he learned of the crash when he dropped off the day's newspapers along his route. The song continues, I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride. Something touched me deep inside the day the music died. Holly's widow, Maria Elena, was in their New York City apartment when the plane went down, She heard the news that Holly had been killed in the crash when she saw it reported on TV. She was pregnant at the time and reportedly suffered a miscarriage due to shock. After this, broadcasters and news outlets adopted a policy to only mention names of victims after their families had been notified. McLean has been forthcoming about the fact that the song was inspired by the death of Buddy Holly, but he also says that biographical elements of his own life and his description of America as it was and as it would be are included in the song's story. And with that, the widowed bride also calls to mind Jackie Kennedy, who was in the car with her husband, President John F. Kennedy, when he was assassinated in 1963. On to the chorus. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie, drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, this'll be the day that I die. The Chevy to the levee line was most likely inspired by a 1950s Chevrolet commercial jingle sung by the American as apple pie, Dinah Shore. In the jingle, driving your Chevy along a road by a levee is included in the lines. Levees are, of course, embankments along a river, but this levee is dry, a metaphor meaning that the era of the music and innocence of the 50s is now over. The good old boys drinking whiskey and rye could symbolize Holly's friends and family back in his hometown of Lubbock, Texas, drinking in his memory at his wake. Particularly since the last line, This'll be the day that I die, is a play on a Holly's hit, That'll be the day which has the line, That'll be the day that I die. The song goes on. Did you write the Book of Love, and do you have faith in God above, if the Bible tells you so? Do you believe in rock and roll? Can music save your mortal soul? And can you teach me how to dance real slow? Now, Did You Write the Book of Love refers to the hit Book of Love by the Monotones back in 1958, which asks if the person who wrote the Book of Love was from above. The song is a prime example of 50s pop music at the time, and McLean turns the phrase around it and the children's religious song, Jesus Loves Me, with the line, If the Bible Tells You So, to create a question around religion in general, asking if music could be a kind of salvation slow dancing included. Back in the 50s, if you were slow dancing with someone, it was as good as going steady. And the song continues. Well, I know that you're in love with him, cause I saw you dancing in the gym. You both kicked off your shoes, man, I dig those rhythm and blues. I was a lonely teenage Bronkin buck with a pink carnation and a pickup truck, but I knew I was out of luck the day the music died. America in the 50s was a time of economic freedom. After the Great Depression and the wars, a feeling of celebration and prosperity prevailed. Teenagers became a thing for the first time, a demographic to be marketed to with hula hoops and rock and roll. Legendary DJ Alan Freed exposed white teenagers to R&B music sung by popular black artists, which led to the rock and roll craze. At the sock hop in this lyrical snapshot, The narrator finds his love interest whooping it up with another. The pink carnation and pickup truck were lines from a song by Marty Robbins, who hit the charts with A White Sport Coat and a Pink Carnation in 1957. It's a song about a guy dressed up for the dance who gets jilted by his girlfriend. Party over, in other words. McLean used this to symbolize that the party was also over in America at large. The chorus repeats, and then it goes on to the next verse, and the next chapter in American history. Now for ten years we've been on our own, and moss grows fat on a rolling stone, but that's not how it used to be when the jester sang for the king and queen, in a coat he borrowed from James Dean, and a voice that came from you and me. And while the king was looking down, the jester stole his thorny crown. The courtroom was adjourned. No verdict was returned. American Pie was written and released in 1971, about ten years after Buddy Holly died. In the meantime, much had changed in the world. Jimi Hendrix wrote Highway Child, which contains the line, A rolling stone gathers no moss. The Rolling Stones came into popularity, and Bob Dylan sang about being on your own, a complete unknown, like a rolling stone, in his song, Like a Rolling Stone. Dylan, in particular, is targeted in this verse. He is the jester McLean mentions, as he sang for the king and queen, Who could be Pete Seeger and Joan Baez from the folk movement that he started out in, the voice that came from you and me referring to folk music being the music of the people. But then Dylan rebelled against all that when he went electric. The king mentioned here could also, of course, be Elvis Presley, king of rock and roll. The jester, Dylan, stealing his thorny crown when he came into prominence with his sardonic, poetic style, quite different from the persona of Elvis. The coat borrowed from James Dean refers to the album cover The Freewheeling Bob Dylan, which resembles a famous picture of Dean from the film Rebel Without a Cause, with Dylan wearing a similar jacket on a similar street on the album cover. When McLean sings, The courtroom was adjourned, no verdict was returned, he is most likely singing about the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, who assassinated JFK. Oswald was himself murdered before the trial concluded. Court was then adjourned before the verdict was returned. The song goes on. And while Lennon read a book on Marx, the quartet practiced in the park, and we sang dirges in the dark the day the music died. John Lennon's Imagine came out the same year as American Pie and reflected a sociologist ideology in keeping with the teachings of the philosopher Karl Marx. The quartet practicing in the park likely refers to the Beatles, who played their last concert together in 1966 at Candlestick Park in San Francisco, the last for a true rock and roll phenomenon. The dirges sung in the dark could refer to songs of mourning for both JFK and Martin Luther King Jr., who was assassinated in 1968. The hopes of millions that these two men represented were dashed, and the country was left to despair their loss. Truly, America had changed completely by the late 1960s. The chorus repeats, and then the next verse deals with the aftermath of such upheaval and the swift uprise and downfall of the free-love era. Helter-skelter in a summer swelter, the birds flew off with a fallout shelter. Eight miles high and falling fast, it landed foul on the grass. The players tried for a forward pass with a jester on the sidelines in a cast. Now the halftime air was sweet perfume— while sergeants played a marching tune, we all got up to dance, but we never got the chance. Because the players tried to take the field, the marching band refused to yield. Do you recall what was revealed the day the music died? Helter Skelter in a Summer Shelter refers to the Charles Manson family's murder of Sharon Tate and others in sunny Los Angeles in the late 1960s, after which people, for the first time, began to lock their doors. Birds Flying Off with a Fallout Shelter refers to the band The Birds, whose song Eight Miles High and, moreover, the album that it's on, The Fifth Dimension, was criticized for having drug references when it came out. A fallout shelter at the time was another term for a rehab facility, and it's no secret that David Crosby, who was in The Birds at the time, was no stranger to drugs. I think the football metaphor that begins in these lines with it landed foul in the grass with the players trying for a forward pass refers to the competition between rock stars like The Birds, The Stones, and Bob Dylan, who again makes an appearance in the song as the jester. Dylan was in a nearly fatal motorcycle crash in 1966 that forced him to retreat from the spotlight and recuperate for nearly a year, the jester sitting on the sidelines of a hypothetical game, so to speak. The halftime air being filled with sweet perfume while sergeants played a marching tune, could refer to marijuana smoke in the air during the drug revolution of the late 60s and the Beatles' groundbreaking Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album, a psychedelic concept album that mirrored the times. But it could also refer to the tear gas that was released in riots at the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago. The lines, "'We all got up to dance, but we never got the chance, "'cause the players tried to take the field,' The marching band refused to yield, could symbolize the thousands of young people who appeared in Chicago to demonstrate against the Vietnam War, but found themselves face-to-face with police in riot gear. What was revealed the day the music died is that there is no innocence in America anymore. The chorus repeats, then the song continues. There we were all in one place, a generation lost in space with no time left to start again. All in one place is 1969's Woodstock Festival, where half a million people joined together for three days of music and free love that summer. It was remarkable for the music and for the fact that it represented a coming together of youth in a way that had never happened before, an ideology that a common desire for peace could work. The line, A Generation Lost in Space... Well, that's the hippie generation, doing drugs and opening their minds. And, of course, we took one small step for man with the moon landing, also in 1969. The next verse sets us up for the final nail in the coffin in regard to the peace and love movement. So come on, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack Flash sat on a candlestick, cause fire is the devil's only friend. And as I watched him on the stage, my hands were clenched in fists of rage. No angel born in hell could break that Satan's spell. And as the flames climbed high into the night to light the sacrificial rite, I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. The beginning of this verse refers to the Rolling Stones' jumping jack flash then morphs into the nursery rhyme about Jack jumping over a candlestick. Only in McLean's version, Jack sits on a candlestick because fire is the devil's only friend. So McLean is pointing to the Rolling Stones here as the devils who brought on the mayhem at the Altamont Speedway Free Festival, held just a few months after Woodstock, which ended in multiple deaths, by car accident, by drug overdose, and by the stabbing death of a fan in the crowd who was watching the Rolling Stones, named Meredith Hunter. He singles the band out because the Rolling Stones had hired the Hells Angels motorcycle gang to be their security, paying them in $500 worth of beer. The Hells Angels were stoned and drunk and became violent towards fans in the audience, and ultimately the show ended with the murder of Hunter, who happened to be a black man, by members of the Hells Angels. The Stones escaped the show and still deal with the stigma of that concert. Their song, Sympathy for the Devil, is wound into these lines through McLean's piercing lyrics, as is a reference to the Grateful Dead, the Devil's Only Friend line from their song, Friend of the Devil, as the Dead were supposed to play at Altamont but did not due to the violence. McLean is enraged by the whole event and sees it as the end of the supposition that peace and love can prevail in dark times, the true follow-up event to the plane crash that killed Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper way back in 1959. The chorus repeats, and then the song closes. I met a girl who sang the blues, and I asked her for some happy news, but she just smiled and turned away. I went down to the sacred store, where I'd heard the music years before, but the man there said the music wouldn't play. And in the streets the children screamed, the lovers cried and the poets dreamed, but not a word was spoken, the church bells all were broken." The girl who sang the blues is, in all likelihood, Janis Joplin, who died of an accidental drug overdose in 1970, the same year as Jimi Hendrix's untimely death. The Sacred Store is a reference to the record stores, where once upon a time, young people would save their money to buy records and gather around the turntable to rock around the clock, way back in the good old days, as McLean saw them. Again, days long past. The streets where children screamed could be a reference to the 1970s student protests at Kent State University in Ohio, which ended in several student deaths. They were protesting the extension of the Vietnam War in Cambodia, a deeply unpopular move by President Nixon. Anti-war opinion had increased due in no small part to the fact that for the first time, people in America could watch scenes from the war on national TV not a word was spoken, the church bells all were broken, in McLean's lines, could refer to the haunting lyrics of Simon and Garfunkel's 1965 hit The Sound of Silence, in which people were talking without speaking, hearing without listening, which probably had a profound impact on McLean, who was so obviously disillusioned with the entire 60s era. The song continues... And the three men I admire the most, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, they caught the last train for the coast, the day the music died. These lines evoke the Holy Trinity. McLean grew up with religion. They also, of course, could refer to the three who died in the plane crash that started it all in his mind, Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens, checking out of here before it all goes downhill almost like he had a kind of dark admiration for their escaping the havoc of the 1960s in America. The song ends with a refrain of the chorus. They were singing, Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, This'll be the day that I die. American Pie is 8 minutes and 32 seconds long, the longest song to ever hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. In an interview in the early 90s, McLean was asked what this song meant to him. He replied jokingly, it means I'll never have to work again for the rest of my life. The original manuscript of American Pie, all 16 pages of it, was sold for $1.2 million at a Christie's New York auction in 2015. McLean then, for the first time, explained a little bit more about the meaning of the song in the catalog description when he said, Basically, in American Pie, things are heading in the wrong direction. America was becoming less idyllic. He said, I don't know whether you consider that wrong or right, But it is a morality song, in a sense. And what did Bob Dylan say about McLean calling him a jester in the song? In his words, a jester? You'd have to ask him. I'm Janda, and this has been Behind the Song. Special thanks to Christian Lane for sound design and engineering. On the way, episodes on lyrics from The Who, The Talking Heads, and more. Classic rock and roll.